Okay, guys, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Thanks, guys. It's got to be in the middle. There we go. Okay. If you did not get a handout on the way in, you can put your hand up and the Connections team will hook you up. You can get digital copies of the notes on YouTube or on our website. Uh, the social links, you can, you can grab that. But we're going to pray and then we're going to jump right into it. Genesis chapter 20. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name and Lord, we're asking that we would not be guilty of nodding our heads this morning and giving mental agreement, mental assent to scripture and then promptly going away that's right in our own eyes. Lord, your word speaks to us and so God, would you help us to submit ourselves to your word? We want your truth manifest in our life and Lord, we're tempted in this world to, to respond with fear. Uh, you did not give us a spirit of fear. Lord, help us to recognize that, God, you're with us. Your spirit is a spirit of power and love, and you've given us your word, and your spirit bears witness to its truth. And, and so, Lord, help us to be Bible believers this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what we're gonna see here this morning is Abraham reacting with fear. He gets into another sketchy set of circumstances, and instead of being bold, in the Lord, bold with the Lord. He's kinda in the middle of a chicken exit and, and so he, he's trying to take the chicken exit and, and so we're gonna see how God deals with him uh, in this situation. Genesis chapter 20 and verse one, and Abraham journeyed from thence. Okay, where, where's thence? Well, you remember Abraham just got done, the last time we saw him, he just got done looking toward the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. He sees it all going up in smoke and uh, coincidentally, he also decides maybe it's time to, to, to get a few miles under his belt. And so he's moving. He journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. It may be that he's hoping to run into Lot. I don't know, but, but now he's moved and he's in new territory. And so here's this same line, man. Verse two, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Everybody that you know, they run into, they're like, uh, nice to meet you. Holy smokes, who's that? That's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. We're gonna keep seeing Abimelech. Abimelech in your Bible, okay, this is a title. It's not a formal name. It's not this cat's name. This is, this is actually his title as king in Gerar. We're gonna see Isaac deal with another Abimelech later on. But what we're seeing is Abraham on the move and we're also gonna see this besetting sin. Besetting is your next blank here in these first verses. What is this besetting sin? I'm telling you it's fear. You say, well, he lied. Well, he, okay, Sarah is his half-sister. It's a half-truth, but brothers and sisters, this is a total lie what he's telling. She's not just his half-sister, this is his wife. Okay, again, the law has not been codified yet. If you'll remember, Noah is upright in his generations. The human genome keeps introducing errors, and so by the time you get to the law, uh, your near kin is not an option for you in terms of marital bliss, okay? At this point, this half-sister, it was fine, and, and so there they are. Um, 
she's not just his sister. This is his wife. He's afraid. And so he says that she's his sister, and now she's taken from him by this heathen king. So get this down in your notes. Abraham, he's dealing with a battle of fear. And what we're gonna see before we get done is he's not at a place of maturity where he recognizes God's heart for the lost, for the heathen, for the lost nations, for those that don't know him. He's afraid of how the lost, those who do not fear God, he's afraid of how they will respond, how they will treat him. And so he thinks he's being cagey, he thinks he's being careful, but what he's doing is making a mess. This is not the first time that he's responded in fear like this. This is a a reoccurrence of an old sin. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, a famine hits the land, right? It's tough to find grocery, the, the grocery shelves are bare, it's tough to find food, and so instead of seeking the Lord, what does he do? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, he goes down to Egypt. So it's not just down geographically. We saw it's also a backsliding spiritually that takes place. Instead of staying in the place of blessing, he looks at his, he gets his eyes off the promises of God. He gets them on his circumstances and he says, maybe Egypt can help me out. You remember Egypt in our Bible is a type of the lost world, the lost world system that, I mean, humanity ends up in slavery in the lost world, in the lost world system. And so here is, here is Abraham going down into Egypt looking for sustenance, looking for supply. And there he says that Sarah is his sister. The lies discovered. His name, his testimony is disgraced. I mean, he's literally banished from Egypt in disgrace. Yeah, he got paid off to leave and, and all of that and, and he came out blessed, but, but, it, but it was really a, 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 a mark against the testimony of God over his life in Egypt. You got an Egyptian pharaoh, a lost man, rebuking him for his lack of character. And so here we are, 20 plus, right? Over two decades later, Abraham doesn't learn. What's happened since Egypt? What's happened since he got rebuked for lying about his marriage relationship with Sarah? Well, let's see, he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, He ended up doing battle. You remember the battle of the five kings. You've got a confederation of kings that go down and do battle against these five kings in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And these kings are no joke, man. They're, they're, They're equipped to deal. I mean, these guys are giant slayers that are coming in, kicking tail, right? They're they're kicking tail, taking names. As a matter of fact, they took Lot. They took everything into captivity. So here's Abraham with his 318, his 318 men, and he chases down this army of giant slayers. He whips their tail, he rescues Lot, he comes back to Salem, to Jerusalem, where he's blessed by Melchizedek, the high priest, the priest of the most high God. I mean, he gets the blessing of God's priest. What else happens to Abraham? Oh yeah, the king of Sodom says, all the goods, why don't you keep them? Thank you for just bringing back our people, and Abraham doesn't fall for that lest the king of Sodom say that he made him rich. I mean, he didn't fall for any of that manipulation. On top of that, he's received wonderful revelation and promises about God, of God's provision for his family. God's going to make of him a great and mighty nation. I mean, that just happened back in Genesis chapter 18. So Abraham, if he's believing the promises of God, God's going to make of him a great and mighty nation. He's tempted to think, well, maybe that's through, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's not through Sarah, maybe that's through Agar, Hagar and, and, and Ishmael, you know? 
So he's, he's wrestling with believing the promises of God whenever he's confronted with the lost world and it potentially being a threat to him. Okay, so here's what you need to know. Uh, Sarah's a good looking woman. Okay, she's old, but she's still got it. Uh, she brings it 100, okay? This lost king sees her and, and a- Abraham knows word's gonna get out about, about this man and, and the looker that's in his camp and, and so he's afraid. So here's what's happening. God's allowing him to reach a point of failure to teach him his desperate lack. And don't you know God will do the same thing to you? He will allow you to come to a place where you don't know how to move forward to show you that you need him, that you need to believe on his promises. You know, Peter didn't think he could deny the Lord. He was bragging about it. Uh, Brian just mentioned that. But when he got into circumstances, these circumstances that were calculated to expose his true lack, his real fear, down he goes. (laughs) All these other cats will deny you, not me. I'll go down fighting until a little girl calls him out and he, he sticks his tail between his legs and denies the Lord three times. Jonah's heart was exposed. He's called to preach salvation, repentance to Nineveh. And his heart is revealed through a hot day, a plant and a worm. And you find out he doesn't have a heart for the lost world. It took 40 years in the wilderness to teach the nation of Israel what was in their heart. Deuteronomy 8 verse two says, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? why? Why did you have 40 years in the wilderness? Well, because you're not all that, because you don't have it figured out. No, it's to humble you, to humble thee and to prove thee to know what is in, what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Are you going to, in faith, move forward in the promises of God? Or are you gonna get your eyes off the word of God onto your circumstances and then excuse away your disobedience to the Lord. This happens over and over with God's people. So for Abraham, this is a lesson he learned over 20 years ago and now he's back at a place where he's scared again and he's lying on his wife. I love what A.W. Pink says about this. And how did God act? Did he lose patience with Abraham and cast off one so fickle and inconsistent? Manifestly, Abraham had dishonored the Lord in acting as he did in setting such an evil example before the heathen, the Philistines. Yet behold the grace of him with whom we have to do. Instead of casting him off, God interposed and delivered Abraham and his wife from the peril which menaced them. Not only did God not forsake Abraham, but he would not abandon him to his foes. Ah, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Uh, That's beautiful. You know, instead of saying, Abraham, you never learn. I'm so I'm so tired of you never learning. I'm just gonna let you rot. I'm so glad that God does not beat the tar out of me for these lessons that I, I mean, I just have to keep learning over and over again. He's a good, good father. He is so patient. He is so careful with us, amen? I'm so glad that these lessons that I have to learn over and over again, that God in his mercy and in his patience will keep teaching them. Now, you gotta learn these lessons. Every time you fail a spiritual test, mark it down, watch. Sure enough, here it comes, you get to retake the test. Praise the Lord. Uh, but that also, is the, that's the patience, that's the mercy of God. I wanna point out one more thing here. Dads, fathers, beware. 
Abraham in some way, somehow, passes this besetting sin on down to his son. Because Isaac's gonna do the same thing with another Abimelech later. And where do you think he got that idea? I mean, Abraham's telling the stories of the genesis of their family, right? The genesis of their family. And he's going to explain how he lied about mom when he got into a tricky situation. And something happened, even in the telling of it to his son. Now again, I'm supposing here, uh, there's nothing in the text that says this, but Abraham, Abraham's son does exactly what he does in that same situation. A lot of time, you know, they say the chip doesn't, uh, or the chip comes off, it's a chip off the block. Oh, it's the apple that doesn't fall far from the tree. I'll get my, I'll get my metaphors right, my analogies right here in just a second. Okay, so, you know, everything reproduces after its kind, and so if you find yourself in a situation where you're explaining why, you don't have to move forward in faith because the circumstances were so difficult and, and, and so suspect. Your little pictures have big ears, man. Your kids are listening and they're like, okay, I see, God, God's good, but, but he's not worth being right with all the time. I don't know how it went down, but I know this, Isaac does the same thing. Man, I don't want my kids to have to over and over learn the lessons that were a struggle for me, right? I, I need to declare what is truth. I need to, de to declare uh, the word of God to my children and name my failures for what they are, faithless failures, amen? Does that make sense? God help us. Now again, don't forget this, Sarah, I mean this woman's in her 90s now, way past her prime. Remember the text has already told us she is, she, I mean she's, she's in past, she, I mean, she's on the other side of menopause, okay? Uh, but baby, she's got it. Yeah, she's got it. I won't quote the rest of the song. It'll get us off track. But, but this lost king sees her, and he's got plans. Uh, Sarah is stunning, and he wants her in his home. And what we're going to see here next is that God intervenes to preserve the promise for the line of the Redeemer. Remember, the key to Genesis is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We saw that first prophecy in the Word of God. And what was it? The, soul, the, 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 the skull crusher is coming. Okay? Satan, serpent, you'll bruise his heel, but he's bashing your head in. He will crush your head. What, what happens? You're gonna do damage to him, but he's gonna destroy you. This seed of the woman will be your destruction. And then what do we see in Genesis? The very next thing is we see Satan go after the seed of the woman. Isn't that what we see? I mean, what comes right after Genesis chapter three? Chapter four, four always comes after three, right? Okay, in Genesis chapter four, what do we find? The first baby ever born murders his little brother, and from there it goes from bad to worse. By the time you get to Genesis chapter six, what do we have? All flesh is corrupted before God. Noah's upright in his generations, okay? Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so he's preserved through the judgment that comes. What do we have? We have God hitting the reset button on the human genome. Then you get down to the patriarchs and what do we have? Oh yeah, they can't get pregnant, they can't have babies. I mean, it's, it's Abraham, it's in Isaac's home. Uh, the line of the Messiah goes through, you know, Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, it's through Rachel. Surprise, surprise, Rachel can't get, she can't get pregnant, she can't have a baby. What's happening? Satan is trying to make sure that Genesis 3.15 isn't made reality over his life. 
So what do you have here? You've got Satan seeking, because the promise is through Sarah. Satan knows the word of God. The word of God comes to Abraham. It's through Sarah that the child of promise will come. It's through Sarah that God will make of him a great and mighty nation. So it's obviously through Sarah that the Redeemer, that the Messiah will come. So Satan wants to see her sold into Abimelech's home. But God keeps his promises. And so he keeps Abimelech from even touching Sarah. We'll see that in verse six. God is so good. I mean, we can put ourselves at a place of hazard and he'll still make sure there's a path through. He'll make sure there's a way to do what's right. Proverbs 16, verse nine says, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Okay, so watch this. Genesis 3, verse or, uh, 20, verse three. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Okay, God is very direct. <laughs> and he doesn't mince words, does he? Uh, dude, you're a dead man walking. That woman does not belong to you. She's another man's wife. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna take you and all yours out. I love Abimelech's response though. So God's not a wimpy communicator, he's very direct. Um, but Abimelech had not come near her. Okay, just mark that in, in your mind and in your Bible. Abimelech had not come near her, why? I mean, king, you know, it's good to be the king. <laughs> the king does what he wants. Something hindered him, he takes this woman and then he doesn't do anything with her. He had not come near her, so this is his response. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Man, we just saw that in chapter 18, didn't we? In Abraham's prayer to the Lord over, you know, when he's interceding for Lot, you're gonna destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the judge of all the earth do, you know, so, I mean, he's, this, this king has something going on. He says, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Man, God's so merciful. Somehow, some way, he used something, and I'm gonna tell you what I think it is here in a moment. The text doesn't say what God did. Now, by comparing scripture with scripture, we probably know what happened. We'll get there in just a second. But God threw some roadblocks up to make sure that this king couldn't just, you know, add Sarah to his harem. You know, a lot of times, this is what will happen in our life. We'll justify I know what the Bible says, but here's my circumstances. Okay, anytime, this is just a hack for life. Anytime you're saying, thinking, living, I know what the Bible says, but here's why I gotta do what I gotta do. Uh, that's a stinky but, y'all. Uh, that is not, I mean, whatever comes after that but, right, is an excuse from the pit of hell. Uh, you, you don't want any part of that in your life, right? You don't want to excuse away the word of God. And so what will happen is, is you'll set your mind to excusing your rebellion and, and, and life doesn't cooperate with you. Brother, sister, beware the, the, the life's roadblocks to sin. Uh, God's throwing up hindrances and he's throwing up roadblocks. Why? Because he wants to keep you from doing grave damage 
to your life, to your family, to your spiritual walk. Uh, Beware when life doesn't cooperate with you. What is God doing? How is he directing you? Again, Proverbs Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 16 verse nine, a man's heart deviseth his way, but God's trying to make sure you go right, but the Lord directeth his steps. Verse seven, now therefore restore the man his wife. Why? For he is a prophet. This is the first mention of a prophet in your Bible, and and so let's just pay attention to the clues in Scripture. First time a prophet shows up in your Bible, what's his first priority? The man of God who is to represent the person of God to the people of God, what's his first priority? What what, What should he do first? If you'll put your eyes back on the text, you'll see the key. Verse seven. He's, what do prophets do? Oh yeah, he will pray for thee. You raised your hand because you figured it out, didn't you? He's gotta pray, right? Yeah, he's gotta pray. He will pray for thee and thou shalt live. Man, what a beautiful picture that is. What does the prophet do? The prophet, the, the, he's a preacher. He proclaims the word of God to people. What must he first do? He's gotta pray for people. And what? Thou shalt live. So you, you know the cross reference. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through eight. We make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men. Why? Because God wants all of them to be saved, right? God's not willing that any would perish. So we gotta pray for people. He will pray for thee and thou shalt live. And if thou, here's the warning, (laughs) and if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine, you and all yours. I'll take them out. God said, I'm not playing. You better do what's right. Uh, That's the love and the mercy of God. The wages of sin are death, but the word of God declares the solution, the path to life. It's through the person and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's not willing that Abimelech perish. He's not willing that his household perish. He wants to bless them. And so he tells them the truth in love. So here's Abimelech's response. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears and the men were so afraid. Again, the picture is just beautiful. Abimelech hears the truth of God's word and he responds with fear and trembling. What does he do? He's a good steward of the word of God. What he knows, that's what he communicates so that others also can have the benefit of God's truth in their life. So Abimelech, he absolutely comes to a a crossroads in his life where he decides it's good to go right with God. So I want us to look at the mess that Abraham makes here uh, in in this first section here in Genesis chapter 20. He lies on his wife, his wife is taken, and so God speaks to Abimelech in a dream. Okay, now you see this many times in scripture. You'll see God speaking to people in dreams, but you need to know you're not gonna, I mean, I've been all over this Bible more times than I will ever know or count. There is no doctrine of dreams laid out in the word of God. There's no doctrine of dreams that tell you how to interpret and how to apply dreams to your life. You're not gonna find that in scripture. Well, but I had this really amazing dream. It was very, it was very real. Uh, it just seemed like it was so real. And, and in this dream, uh, we, we didn't have anything to eat. And so, and so we, we, we you know, chopped off my, my wife's arm at the elbow and we put it in the pot and, and we all lived. 
What does that mean? Well, it means you're a little crazy and you ate too much hot chili too late at night and you just had some, maybe you were a little mad at her that she didn't cook for you what you wanted. I mean, I don't know what it means, but let me tell you this, if you go plan in your life based on what your brain was freewheeling last night, you're getting ready to make a big mistake, okay? Uh, There is no doctrine of dreams laid out in scripture. As a matter of fact, get this down in your notes. The Bible does not teach you how to interpret dreams. You say, yeah, yeah, I know this story about how somebody had this dream and through that they realized they needed to be saved. Praise the Lord. God is king. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants. But you're not going to, from scripture, take a doctrine and apply dreams to your life. Why would you? You have Abimelech. Does Abimelech have Genesis in his Bible? Let the whole church say? No. He doesn't have Genesis... He doesn't, have revel- he doesn't have anything in between, right? He, he does not have a Bible. And so God's speaking to this man to rescue him. Here's the principle. Here's why I think that Abimelech was saved, why God intervened on his behalf. Get this down in your notes. Here's the principle. Abimelech was obedient to follow the law of conscience, so God gave him further revelation. And you see that principle over and over in scriptures. It's very clear in Romans, okay? See, Abimelech knew something wasn't right. This is the, I mean, this is an old woman. She's still the hottest mama in the land. Well, she's not a mama, you know? Uh, She's this guy's sister from his perspective. Something's off. And he took her, and he knew it wasn't right. What's he doing? He knew something wasn't right, so he hadn't taken her to his bed. What's happening? Something in him is pricked. His conscience is stirred up in him. He can't move forward in clear and good conscience. Romans 2, 14 says that, that this is something that God places in the heart of man, knowing right from wrong. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not a law, they don't know the word of God. They don't know the law of God. Well, they're a law unto themselves. God builds it in them. God builds it into the heart of man to know the difference between right and wrong. Now, you can sear that conscience, you can brutalize that conscience until it's dead, but you have to do great damage to yourself to come to the place where you can call evil good and good evil. That takes a lot of damage, it takes a lot of warping. And so Abimelech just wasn't there yet. He knew something was off, so he didn't touch this woman. So the lost, have the law of God written in their hearts, look at verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So this is the same thing that you see in Romans chapter one. God will use a a man's conscience to show him what's right. Uh, you, You get, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so like you said something that was mean and hurtful about somebody else. And you, you, know, you got caught up in the moment and you talked trash on someone that's, that should be dear to you. And what happens is, is you didn't realize they were standing right behind you when you talked trash on them and you turn around and you see their face and they're just so hurt. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've done something like that. Or a word got back to them and they know what you said or what you did and you know that you gravely offended them. Do you know that pain that you felt in your stomach, like, it's like in your bowels, okay? You, have, have you ever done that where you know you've hurt someone and you actually have a physical pain 
That is the maximum manifestation of a conscience at work. Like you hurt them and it hurts you knowing that you hurt them. Uh, that's that prick in your heart, that's that, that, that damage that, that you do to another person, you feel it, you know it. Uh, that would be an example. Well, stealing, you know that's wrong. I didn't, I didn't earn that, I didn't, I didn't buy that, I didn't work for that. Somebody else put in the hard work and I just took that and, well, your conscience tells you that's wrong. So, you're, so the con- if you'll respond to the law of conscience in your heart, uh, Romans 2 says you're gonna get more revelation, right? You're gonna, you're, God's gonna bring you inexorably to the gospel. Same thing in Romans 1 with creation. When men follow the clues of creation, then the heavens declare God for who he is and what he says. The heavens, creation itself will point you to the word of God. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms 19. Keep a finger here in Genesis 20 and look at Psalms 19, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is the blueprint that Abimelech is following. And again, both creation and conscience will point you to the creator. Okay, that's what Romans says. Well, that's what's happening in Abimelech's life. Psalms 19 verse one says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world, in them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun. So what Psalms 19 says is the, word, the, the creation of God is pointing out the person of God. And that's what you see in Romans 1. How do we know God? Well, the invisible things of God are clearly shown through what he's created. Here's the problem, is that men will recognize the creator. There's no way around it, okay? Creation is awesome, obviously. I mean, the fact that there's anything proves it. Like, literally, all there should be is nothing. If you really think about it, all there should have ever been is nothing. Well, that's not what is. There's a whole lot of something. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Whoever made it is an artist. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our soul knows that right well. We absolutely, intuitively know that. Here's what happens. Romans chapter one says that when men recognize the creator, instead of glorifying him as the creator, they glorify the creature instead, and they'll worship the creature. Instead of giving glory to God, they give it to themselves, and that turns into all kinds of corruption and wickedness to the point where now a man or a society that's rejecting the creator, they're so full of themselves, they end up in the place where They don't just commit unrighteousness. No, they love it when other people do. They're all about it. You know, the more rebellion against God, the better. Okay, so creation is crying out and declaring the creator, verses one through four. In them, in this creation, God set a tabernacle for the son, which is as a bridegroom, verse five, coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run, the ra- to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. So creation reveals, um, I mean here it is, the sun as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Creation reveals the creator, right? It reveals God and our need for his word. Look at verse seven. If there's a creator, I better know what his expectations are over my life. 
If there's a creator, what's his intended purpose for me? How will I know? Well, okay, so there's a lot of spiritual literature, there's a lot of sacred literature in this world. This book stands alone. This book has proven itself to me over and over again. This is, I mean, this is the Hebrews 4.12 book, okay? Uh, It's the sword of the Lord, and when you read it, it reads you. This is a book that talks to me, it speaks to me. Uh, It will make me tremble before my creator, okay? Uh, But it proves itself so beautifully. The only way anybody could have ever come up with this data set is to cheat. Somebody from the end had to know it from the beginning because there's too many perfectly fulfilled prophecies. Statistically, this book is impossible. It is absolutely supernatural data. It stands alone, in terms of all sacred, quote unquote, sacred texts, this one is alive and it knows everything and we would do well to take heed unto it. Okay, it absolutely declares the creator. It absolutely declares his will, his expectations over our life and that's what, that's what Psalms 19 is saying. Creation is telling you there's a God, listen up, look at verse seven. Here it is, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You'll hear the word of God, it will bring you to the person of God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover by them, Abimelech, listen up, The word of God came to you and warned you, didn't it? In Genesis chapter 20, moreover by them, by the words of the Lord, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Man, this woman in my mind was available, I just took her. Uh, No, that was an error. And the word of God told you it was so. So here's the prayer, verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. There it is again, let, him, let them not have dominion over me, then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from great, transgre- uh, great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So that's what Psalms 19 says, creation reveals the creator and our need to submit to his word. It's a warning against sin against him. So there it is. God knew that Abimelech was presumptuous. He had secret faults, he had secret sin. And so he calls him out on it. The word of God comes to him because at the end of the day, God knows that if Abimelech sees how to do what's right, he'll do it. God's gonna meet Abimelech where he's at. Hey, I know in the integrity of your heart, you didn't didn't take this woman, I, I get that. And so I'm cluing you in on your sin, I'm cluing you in on how you need to repent, I'm cluing you in on what my word is over your life. See, God knows the hearts of all men. Check out 1 Chronicles 28 verse nine. And thou Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. Why? Well, because God's worth being right with and he knows. He knows whether or not you're submitted to him. Check this out. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. So God knows Abimelech. He knows his heart. He doesn't know how to move forward in faith. He doesn't know how to do what's right. 
So God gave him his word that he might repent and be saved. Do you see that picture? God knows the thoughts and the intents of his heart. So get this down in your notes. God always deals justly with the saved. God deals justly with the unsaved. He treats the lost fairly. He acknowledged that Abimelech had no fault in the matter, that he had acted in the integrity of his heart, but he was on a path to destruction. And so the word of God warned him away. There's so many, don't miss that picture, there's so many in the lost world that if they just knew what was right, they would do what was right. But how will they hear the word of God without a preacher? How will they have faith to believe on the word of God unless somebody tells them, unless somebody declares it? You know, in verse four, uh, I, I mean, Abimelech is quick on his feet. He responds right. He says, hey, uh, uh, let's see, verse four. Um, he had not come near, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Again, in Genesis 18, that's kind of how Abraham was praying, that God would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so here, Abimelech is praying with the same heart, Lord, Will you destroy an innocent nation? Now, you know, he's, he's on the cusp. He's actually on the line of committing a grave sin. Look down in verse seven. This is the first place again where we see prophet in the Old Testament and this man needs to pray for him so that he and his family can live. Uh, but, but, but notice in that, in verse seven, that this is a grave warning against adultery. He says, Restore this man, right? Therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, it hasn't happened yet, and thou shalt live. There's a sentence of death hanging over his life. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Uh, don't miss this. This is a grave warning to us all in terms of how God views adultery. He views it as a capital offense. So let's pick it up again in verse nine. Uh, Abimelech, uh, in verse eight, told his household, told his cabinet. Verse nine, now he's telling Abraham. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, what hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee? that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You hate me, bro? You're setting me up for destruction. What, what, what's your deal, man? <laughs> Why do you set me up for this great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that, thou ought not to, uh, that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, what sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Why are you trying to destroy me? And Abraham gives his excuse, verse 11, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, this is the kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. What was it? What's Abraham's excuse? I was afraid. And so say you're my brother so that they'll suck up to me instead of killing me in order to take you. That's really his position. So here's Abimelech's response, verse 14. He took sheep and oxen and men servant and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. 
So here in this section, we're seeing just, he's a miserable prophet. Uh, God had, had told Abimelech in the dream what he needed to do. God told him uh, how he needed to, to uh, respond with righteousness, even though Abraham wasn't righteous in how he presented himself. You still do what's right. And this gives Abraham the opportunity to repent and start moving forward in faith. God's command over his life is to pray for this king. So here we see the priest ministering. You know, it's a sad thing when a lost king again has to chew out God's man. I mean, Abimelech is, is rebuking Abraham for his sin. And Abraham gives the same excuses he always had. There's no justification here for his faithlessness. Man, I pray that God would help us as believers that when the lost world sees us, they'll see us standing in faith, not fear, because when they see our faithlessness, it damages the testimony of the Lord in our life. How big is your God? Can you you take him at his word? What happens, though, is we see the lost world and we're afraid of how they'll perceive us, so we hedge, we lie, we dissimulate, we try to go along to get along, when what we need to do is say, this is who God is in my life, and I have him at his word. To respond in faith, not fear. Look at verse 16. Abimelech reproves Sarah for her sin. And he said, and said unto Sarah, and unto Sarah he said, behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus, she was reproved. I mean, that's amazing. The instruction in this rebuke is profound. He says, trust God by submitting to the structure that he has you in. You have a husband, you ought to act like it. Abraham is your husband, and the fact that he's your husband is protection for you. This is what, I mean, and God's been very clear on this throughout scripture. In the giving of the law, the command is do not commit adultery, right? But also, doesn't God's word say we should not covet another man's wife? In other words, you don't get to go after, you don't get to long for anything that God has not given to you. So the minute, I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, Sarah is a honey, but the minute she marries Abraham, she's off the menu. You can't see her in that way anymore. All she can ever be is a sis. All she can ever be is a sister. That's, that, that, that structure of marriage should make her invisible in terms of um, you know, any sexual activity. That is not an option for all the rest of the male population, okay? There it is. So stay with your husband. Be in the structure that God has provided for you. That's safety for you. Well, so poor Sarah. I mean, he told her to say she was, she was his sister. Okay, let me give you some homework, ladies. Read First Peter chapter three. Sarah she ends up submitting to the structure that God has him in. And as a matter of fact, God uses that in his life. You know, your husband may be a little bit of a moron, okay? That can happen. I, you know. Just be the, be the wife, be the bride that God called you to be because that is the biggest tool in God's toolbox to break your husband's heart to conform him to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I can't get my husband to fly right. Well, you fly right, you do what's right, and then let God use that to break your husband's heart. Let God use that 
uh, in your own life. I've told you this story before, you know, in the early days of our marriage, uh, Cheryl and I were in the typical trap of looking at each other to fulfill our expectations. If my wife lives the life she's supposed to live and she acts the way that she's supposed to act, and she, you know, she grills my, 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 uh, my grilled cheese sandwich exactly the way that I like it and she'll scratch my back and you know, all of those things. In other words, you fall into the trap of being content based on your mate's performance instead of having your contentment come through your relationship with Christ. And so she's looking at me, trying to conform me to her will. I'm looking at her, trying to conform her to my will. And with that, that engenders frustration. Now we're in it till death parts us. But you know, it's like, Lord, you know, if you wanted to take her out, oh Lord, if you wanted to take him out, uh, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, you know? And so (laughs) that gender strife and, and confusion and conflict and, and, uh, you know, and, and God, you know, God's at work in our life and we're growing and we're maturing in our faith and, and we're learning how to live Christ and, and I'll never forget it, man. I mean, I come home one day thinking our marriage, you know, it's, it had been a good run. We, we were actually having a good time together and, and I remember coming home from work and Cheryl looking so glad, so happy to see me and she's just loving me and all of a sudden it hits me. Like, she's changed, man. Like she's really changed. And so finally I get up the guts and I ask her, I'm like, uh, who are you and what have you done with my wife? (laughs) Never mind. I don't want her back, I'll keep you. Like what's going on with you? And she said, you know, I finally realized that you were never gonna meet my expectations. I was never gonna find contentment in you. I finally realized there's only one perfect man on the planet and that's Jesus and he's all I need and it's my job just to love you. And I'm gonna do it, I love you. Man. Right there, just like a dagger in my heart. Because my wife beat me to Christian maturity, you know? Like she's saying, all I need is Christ. And it's my job to lay my life down loving you. And God used that to break me over her not meeting my personal expectations I need to grow up and recognize my contentment is in Christ. My, 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 my fulfillment in life comes through the person, the word, the work of Christ in and over and through my life. He's enough, he's all that I need. I can learn in whatsoever state I am with that state to be content, therewith to be content. And it's my job to just lay my life down loving my wife. You got a family member that's off the rails, the greatest thing that you can do is get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in Christ, live Christ. That will be the biggest tool that God will use to break the heart of that family member. You say, I got a kid that's going off the rails. Man, get on fire for Jesus. Let him see the reality of who he is in your life. And when they're old, not only will they not depart because of what you taught them, it's also what you've shown them. Let me give you another bit of homework. My husband's a mess. Read 1 Corinthians 7. It explicitly says it right there. Your believing life is what God will use to save your spouse. You say, he made a profession of faith, but he's not living Christ. Well, his best shot at living Christ is you setting the tone, you setting the example. All right, let's look at Abraham's ministry and we'll wrap up. 
the last two verses, we see the priest, the prophet, ministering. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. What a beautiful picture, spiritual picture. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, brothers, sisters, can you see that? More importantly, do you believe that? God wants to move, he wants to help, he wants to heal, he wants to save the lives of others, but first, somebody's gotta pray. Nobody can have new life but what somebody prays. Abraham must pray. So here's the picture in the text. Get this down in your notes. Prayer changes things. When we pray for those who have no life, they're barren, they're lost, our prayers, God uses it to produce fruit, new life in the barren. So this is why God wants us to intercede for others. Why? Abraham needs to join God. He needs to, he needs to get God's heart for Abimelech and his family. He needs to develop his heart, his will for the lost. Again, uh, we don't have time to look at it, but a key cross-reference is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-8. through eight. We are again instructed to make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men because God wants all of them to be born again. Nobody gets saved but what somebody prays for it. So we gotta ask, we gotta intercede because they're lost in their sin, they're dying in their sin, that's the picture. We need to call on the Lord to do what only he can do to open that door. And so point number two under this section, this is a personal commanded prayer. This is personal commanded prayer for others that you need to love. Instead of responding with fear, Abraham has to respond in faith. We always gotta choose faith over fear. I don't know how this lost king's gonna view me. I'm scared, so I'm gonna lie and cheat. I'm gonna dissimulate. No, get full of faith and pray for that cat. You know, ultimately, Abe does that. He, he, he always moves forward in faith. This is why James 2:23 says that, this is his testimony, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. See, most of our, most of, most, I mean, for the typical carnal Christian, most of our prayer life is for ourselves. You know, we treat God like a vending machine. Oh God, help me, oh God, give me, oh God. You have to do this for me. Okay, which will thrill God's heart? Is it when we're begging for personal help, a personal blessing, or we're crying out for the salvation of the lost, for God to bless others? Which pleases God more? living your life, going along to get along, just trying to make your way in a lost world, or laying down your life, laying down your rights to minister and give God's truth to others, to build other people up in their faith. See, the problem is our focus too often is on ourselves, and when it's on ourselves, we're not burdened for the lost. We don't have God's heart for the church, much less the lost world. So that's the last question on the floor this morning, is whom would the Lord have you intercede this morning on their behalf? See, Abe's problem, our problem, man, that's nothing when we have God's heart. Man, this king might kill me and take my wife. Well, God, you're with me. And that dude needs to know you. So instead of responding in fear, I'm gonna respond with love. And I'm gonna tell that cat the truth. I'm gonna tell that king what your word says. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, as God is, 
If we're, living in his, if we're living in his love, then as God is, so are we in this world. Okay, how is God? What's his heart? Well, God came to seek and save that which is lost, didn't he? He wasn't afraid. Now, he wasn't looking forward to being butchered alive for humanity. Um, but the Bible says that he, I mean, this is where he ended up. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame, he carried that cross, he endured the cross. Why? Because he's buying a bride. He's seeing the lost reconciled back to himself. He wasn't afraid, he came for the lost and his last prayer for others was intercession. Father, forgive them. I mean, we were butchering him alive and his last prayer was to intercede on our behalf. Father, forgive them for they know not what, they know not what they do. I mean, that's incredible. These people don't know what they're doing. If they'd have known, they wouldn't be doing this. They don't know. Father, forgive them. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Abraham, don't be afraid. Just speak the truth in love. Love that king. Well, but he might kill you. Well, he might. Welcome to the fellowship. We killed the king, the king. And he laid down his life, buying us out of our sin and our rebellion, buying us back from the damnation of sin to be reconciled to him. Man, that's love. There's no greater love than that. He laid his life down for us. Remember the cry of the Apostle Paul? Is that he could enter into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. So many of God's people, they're afraid of what will happen to them in this world. Well, the world and the fashion of this world, they're all gonna pass away. Uh, The worst that this world can do is make you suffer for a little while. You, believer, have God forever. And there is nothing in this world that compares with that. The end, right, it's already written. The conclusion, it's already drawn. God will never leave us or forsake us. And so the cry of the, apostles, uh, the apostle Paul's heart was, is Jesus suffered greatly. He laid down everything for me. I wanna join him in that. I wanna lay down my life in the fellowship of his suffering. What can the lost world do to you? Well, they can make your life miserable and end it. Welcome to the fellowship of his suffering. Will you go beyond that and in loving the lost world, speak God's truth to them? Will you pray for them? The call this morning is that we would lose our fear, tear down that stronghold of fear. Fear does not come from God. Second Timothy 1 verse seven says that God has not given you a spirit of fear. The spirit that God gave you is a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind, right? You're gonna be able to speak the truth of God's word, the gospel of God, in the power of this loving spirit. Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters. Lord, there are some here this morning that, Lord, we just, we need to repent. We need to rededicate our lives to you instead of, living lies and hiding, hiding who you are, what you're doing in our life in this lost world. Lord, they need us to pray for them. They need us to speak on your behalf. And so Lord, would you, would you work in our heart? Would you do what only you can do? God, would you break our heart for the lost world? That Lord, we'd be bold to speak to them the message of salvation. God, thank you for, for speaking up for Abimelech. Thank you for just showing your great love for this lost man who was clueless about 
about what you were doing in Abraham's life. He only cared about what he wanted to do in his own life and, and you rescued him. Lord, you want to do the same thing over and over again and you want to use us to be a part of that process and so Lord, who would you have us to reach out to with your love, to call on you over in prayer, in intercession, with supplication and giving thanks? Lord, we wanna be useful to you. We wanna, we, wanna, we wanna count for your kingdom. And so Lord, there are people here this morning that need, to, that need to let go of fear and move forward in faith. How many would raise their hand and say, Pastor, that's me, would you pray for me? I need to let go of fear and I need to move forward in faith. Let me see your hands. So there's a number. How many would say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I've got, I've got lost souls in my life there are people who do not know the Lord Jesus and would you, would you help me intercede for them this morning? Can I see your hands? So Father, you see us, you see where we are. And, and so Lord, help us to see that you're worthy of it all. You're worth us laying our lives down for in your service and so God, we reject the spirit, the, the lying spirit of fear. Uh, Lord, help us to tear those strongholds down. Lord, would you encourage my brothers and sisters that God, you're at work, prayer works. <laughs> uh, you're at work in our life and you wanna use us to work in the lives of other and others. And so Lord, I ask for loving boldness for my brothers and sisters to move forward in faith. And then Lord, we've all got people that don't know you, that you've placed in our life and we don't wanna hide your truth. And so Lord, would you open up doors of utterance for us? Would you give us boldness and wisdom to say what needs to be said the way it needs to be said, to preach the gospel in the power of your Holy Spirit? God, would you help us to make friends with our family and neighbors? Uh, and through that friendship, bring them to, to saving faith. God, you're good. You've been nothing but good to us. Lord, the least that we can do is submit to your will over our lives. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.